Welcome to Emmanuel Assembly. We are so thrilled to have you. Uh, this is kicking off our Emmanuel Go month, and uh, we did steal that from Pokemon Go. So if you are kin to the creator of Pokemon Go, please do not turn us in. All right, I'm going to share for just a minute uh, on some things. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and then I've asked Pastor Michael to come and share. This is Missions Month, and uh, Pastor Michael and Candy are actually home missionaries. They work with Knoxville Inner City Kids Outreach. They minister to our urban and inner city kids, about a 1,000, somewhere between a 1,000 and 1,200 every week. These guys are loving on and ministering to them. Can we encourage the Clark family? Come on, with his mom and dad. We began to talk to you last week um, about Emmanuel Go, and that's what we want to just jump into this morning. Can we pray? Do y'all pray? If you haven't had your prayer time, you can get it in today, right now, amen. Here we go. Let's pray. Lord, we just love you. We thank you for your word. Just thank you, James chapter 1 and verse 22. We hear and do your word. We don't want to just hear it. We want to hear it and do it. Father, I thank you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. We mix the word of God with faith. And when we do, Romans 1.16, the power of God is released. Thank you. You're growing us together, building us up. Thank you that Colossians 1.7, your word bears fruit from the very time that it enters our heart. That's our prayer, and we're so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Look at our passage here, our main screen. It's from Mark 16 and Matthew 28. It says, go therefore. You'll see this on the screen. Uh, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So Jesus said, pray, and then he said, go. And the Bible and the King James, any King James fans in the house? We got a few King James fans. The King James says, go ye. And so many times we think ye is the little Chinese guy that owns the laundromat. Ye is not the little Chinese guy at the laundromat. Ye is me. Look at your neighbor and say, ye is me. Come on, say, ye is me. Go ye into all the world. Now, the church thinks pray ye and stay ye. But Jesus didn't say pray ye and stay ye. Jesus said pray ye, and then he said go ye. We're commanded to go. And that's the whole point of this series. Go into all the world. Now, we we shared with you from Luke chapter 5. We won't read it, but we'll just kind of catch you up to date. Luke chapter 5. Remember this story? These these guys uh, carried this man that was paralyzed. He couldn't walk. We don't know how paralyzed he was, but he was just bound to this mat. Luke chapter 5, they carry this guy to the to the place where Jesus is, and the house is so full, the house is so packed. When love is in the house, the house should be full. Jesus was there, the house was full. They couldn't even let the man in. So the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, they dug up, climbed up on the roof, and they dug through the roof, and they let the man down. And when Jesus saw their faith... Not the faith of the paralyzed man. When Jesus saw their faith and what they had engaged to do, he healed the man. And so we begin to give you seven ground rules for going. Number one, we talked to you about you got to have a heart. Number one, have a heart for the lost. Everything flows out of compassion. Do you know how I know when God is leading me? Because I have compassion. Miss Sarah, I check my heart if I go a season and I don't feel overwhelmed with compassion. If I don't get a tear in my eye when I see a need. Now, I can't just walk around like Richard Simmons' crybaby all the time. You know what I'm saying. At some point, you got to be a man. Come on. I just made all the Richard Simmons fans mad. I'm going to dress up like him one day and come in here and do a servant. No, I'm just kidding. It, get that. If I go, race, race, race. Listen, it can't just be this Richard Simmons fest and walk around weeping and crying with tissues and all the time. No joke. I went to a church one time, Pastor Michael, and the ushers were like huddling, like talking, like we got to make a plan here. And I was like, I was on staff. I said, guys, what's going on? They said, there's a lady here at church today. This is an example of what not to do. Okay. Can I have an amen? There's a lady at church today and she parked way in the back 
and, and she's dropping tissues the whole way as she comes in. And we asked her, we said, ma'am, you've dropped a bunch of tissues if you didn't notice. You've, you've dropped, you know, she had boxes and she was just walking in very slowly. And she said that that was, you know, something for the prayers or the tears of the saints or something. We said, that's great. Do that at home. You know, <laughs> you're messing up our parking lot. But we can't walk around like that lady all the time, just throwing tissues out. But what we can do, we must have a heart. We must be touched occasionally. We must be touched by needs. If, we're, if we don't have a heart for the lost, we'll never bring people to Jesus. There was something inside of these four men that their heart was grieved for this brother that was on the mat. Maybe it was a recent accident. Maybe he had been that way from birth. Maybe his family had outcast him. Maybe he couldn't work anymore and provide. Maybe his family was going hungry. They were so desperate to help the man. They had such a heart. They were willing to do anything. And the problem with churches today is we don't have a heart. We see so much need on television. We see so much hunger on television. We see so much hurt and pain that we become numb and desensitized to it. But God wants to soften us and awaken us. We must have a heart. The Bible says in Romans 15, those that are strong should help those that are weak. Any strong people in the house? Let me see your muscles. Come on, John, let me see your muscles. Anybody strong? Those that are strong mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, we're commanded to help those that are weak. Number two, not only are we to have a heart, but we're to pray. Look at number two, Jared. The second ground rule for going is we've got to pray for the lost. I'm so thankful for Jay, so proud of what he's put together. We're going to email you today if we have your email address, today or tomorrow, uh, this prayer guide, and next week we'll have on printed. It's over 30 pages of all of our ministries and all of our missionaries, and it has name and spotlight, and you can actually pray. What we're asking is for you to take the next 30 days and pray over every missionary and every ministry. God may wake you up at 3 a.m. and put somebody on your heart that you've never met, but you saw their face and their picture, and God may call you to pray for them, and you may help save their life in another country just by praying. I know stories of that, and it has happened, and it is true, and it can happen if you'll be obedient. So we're going to be praying over our missionaries. So we've got to pray for the lost. What do we pray for? How do we pray for the lost? So many Christians pray for the lost kind of incorrectly or inaccurately. We pray almost like we're asking God, like Caleb, you know, if he's lost and he's not, aren't you glad? But let's say we're praying for Caleb to get saved. We say, oh, God, would you please save Caleb? Like God is in heaven going, here's salvation. I'm dangling it in front of Caleb. Today, not today, not today. No, it is God's will for Caleb to be saved. We're not praying for God to save Caleb like as if we're moving the hand of God to do something he's not already done. God has already done everything he's ever going to do to bring salvation to Caleb. It is now up to Caleb to walk in that salvation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 4, that Satan is the God of this world system. And Satan has blinded the eyes to the people of God. The reason Caleb is not accepting Jesus is not because God doesn't want him saved. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God said, It is not my will that any should perish, but it is my will that all should be saved. It is the will of God for your family member to be saved and born again. It is God's perfect will. But but the God of this world systems has deceived and blinded our eyes. So what do we pray? Number one, pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4. 
Colossians chapter 4, and I believe it's verse 3. Pray for us that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here now and change. Pray for us that we'll have opportunities. If we're going to go and reach the lost and hurting, we must pray for opportunities. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you. I'm going to warn you, Jesse. This is a prayer God loves to answer. How many of you have ever prayed for opportunities and an opportunity came? If you're not ready, don't pray for opportunities because you ask God, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith. You're going to find yourself on the side of the road with somebody changing a tire. And, and the Holy Spirit's going to go, hey, remember that opportunity? Here it is. And you're going to be all nervous and all that. And that's okay. Pray for opportunities. Number two, pray that God will soften their heart. Pray that God will soften their heart. Over these next 30 days, we're going to begin to pray over people we know that are lost and away from God. Number three, pray that God will soften your heart towards them. If you've got somebody on your mind, how many of you can close your eyes for just a second? How many of you can think of someone right now who is away from Christ and who's lost? Picture them in your mind. Now look back up over these next 30 days. Let's pray that God will soften their heart to receive his word. And then pray that God will soften your heart. Because a lot of times, if we want an opportunity to reach them, we have to have compassion for them. And our hearts can become hard and cold. And and I love it. The Bible says, when he saw their faith. And that's really what we want to launch into today. And I want to ask Pastor Michael to come in just a minute and share about really pushing through discouragement. I can imagine these guys did all this work to bring these people to Jesus, this man to Jesus. Maybe they had traveled miles. I've been working around our house, and uh, I can barely carry a five-gallon bucket of paint across the driveway, let alone this guy. They had to probably go a ways. What if they had carried this guy one or two or three miles? What if they had carried this guy, you know, half a block? You ever carried a man on a sheet? Come on now. What if they had carried this guy and he was heavy? They were tired. They did all this work, all this labor, and then they couldn't even get in the house. How discouraged must they have been? How disappointed must they have been? Pastor Michael is going to come and share about how to continue to do that and how to go forth even when things are hard because our object is to reach those around us that are hurting. Amen? Come on, can we give God thanks? As the best youth pastor in all the known world comes, handsome man of God. All right. He's overdone himself once again. <clears throat> Miss Gail stole my coffee, so I'm going to get it back. Thanks. Take a quick swiggy. I'll go ahead and get a, get a swig of yours. Cheers. Well, in case you don't know, I am. My name is Michael Clark. I serve as the student ministry pastor here, so uh, working with the kids all the way from Prequest up through high school. And so it is my honor to do that here. Um, but just a few things. How many of you guys were watching the Olympics last night? Some swimming? Did you see some of the swimming? How many of you were wishing Sherelle was there? I was so thinking about Sherelle, missing her dearly. Um, but we got a few medals, I think, in the heat, so it was good. Well, just to talk about, we're continuing our series, Emmanuel Go, and looking at missions. And if you don't know, James hinted at what I do, Pastor James hinted at what I do full time. Um, I do work with inner city students. I work with um, urban children and youth and their families. My parents started that 21 years ago, so I've grown up with it. It's been my sibling. That's that's what I've known. Um, and and so missions has been near and dear to my heart. Uh, my wife and I we connected on missions being something that was uh, front and center to us. We we love God and we wanted to go into missions. And so my master's is in missiology. I have a master's in missions. Believe it or not, there's actually such a thing. Uh, it's not just a made up word. Missiology. Um, was was my degree from Regent University in Virginia Beach. And so this is, I just, I say all that to say this is 
probably one my heartbeat beats for missions. I don't really work with students because I love students as much as I see them unreached and they're not being, um, they're not being trained and equipped by our generation and our, in our culture. And so to me, it is missions. It is missions, uh, to, to reach them, to train them, to disciple them. And so as we're talking today about Emmanuel Go, I just had a couple of points that I want to briefly discuss. And the first one is, is simply this, is that we are missionaries along the way. We're missionaries. It's as you go. And we'll get to that. The nuance of the Greek of, of the, of the commission is just that. It's something that we do as we go. It's everyday life. And, and I think this has been called so many things. Uh, it's been called lifestyle missions, um, missional living. I mean, there's so many different nuances of this concept that I've heard. But as you go along your way, and he was, you know, pastor was talking about praying for opportunities. And I think more often than not, it's really praying that we would see the opportunities that are already there, right? There's the song, make, make me aware of your presence. You see, God's presence is already here. We need to be aware of it. The opportunities are already there. We just simply need to have our eyes open and respond to the opportunities that are already in front of us. And so just to go back to something I've, I've said before, and you may not have heard it, to me, God was the first missionary. See, in Genesis chapter 3, I see him come. After sin had entered the world, here he comes into the cool of the day and asking, where are you? He's already seeking and saving that which was lost. He didn't wait till Jesus to do that. This was God's heartbeat from day one, from the first book, Genesis. He's already coming in to fellowship with mankind, his creation. Where are you? And because of shame and guilt and sin, there was already this wall and this, this situation of hiding that we had created for ourselves, but it didn't stop God from the pursuit. And so as we see that, that God is already in this, in this habit of in everyday life, along his way even, along his way, that he is going, he is seeking, he is looking to commune. And so it's an extension of who God is and who God is in us. To, to extend this arm, this, so to speak, the body of Christ, extending the love of Christ through us. And so there's this idea that I think um, has plagued the church for too long, that if we have it, that we just hoard it. And so let me read a couple of quotes real quick. This is by St. Augustine. He says this. He says, that bread which you keep belongs to the hungry. That coat which you, pre- which you preserve in your wardrobe to the naked. Those shoes which are rotting in your possession to the shoeless. That gold which you have hidden in the ground to the needy. Wherefore, as often as you are able to help others and refuse, so often did you do them wrong. I'm challenged by these type of statements. St. Augustine is, is in the um, early 300s that he's writing this, and then a contemporary, I would say, of the Protestant movement, John Wesley writes this. As you, if you guys don't know, I'm a huge John Wesley nerd. Um, it was supposed to be Judah's name, but he didn't look like a Wesley. But this is what John Wesley says. He says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. So this is the way he lived. And I remember hearing stories about Wesley when he would look back on what he had given in that, in that particular year and what he had earned. And he would always try to give more than what he had, had taken in and kept for himself. So he would try to give at least 
or more because he did, he didn't need two coats. He didn't need that extra pair of shoes riding. He, he lived by much of what St. Augustine had said previously. But instead, this is what I, I see in, in today's churches. Instead of what Wesley says right here, this has been our statement. Get all you can, can all you get and sit on your can, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's been our approach, Bob. And so I'm, I'm challenged by, by these fathers that have gone before us that instead of getting all you can and get and can all you get and sitting on your can, that we would help all those in need as long as ever as we can. We've been talking about this in youth, about how the great command comes before the great commission. What do I mean by that? The great command, they come up and they try to trap Jesus in Tyler, what is it that I must do? What is the greatest commandment? Of course, they're trying to catch him in something that he will say. And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy's like, well, I've done these things. What else must I do? You know, well, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Well, he was a rich guy and that didn't settle well. And so the great command, the loving God comes before we share the love of God. And this is something that we need fresh, is it not? It's something that has to be renewed in our life. It's something that I can't just love my wife before we got married and hope that it works out well for the next 10 years, 20 years. We've been married 10 years now. It's something that has to be rekindled. It's something that has to be renewed. It's something that has to be expressed daily, doesn't it? And our love for God is simply a response of his love for us. Throw this verse up there for me, Jared. 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. This is what it says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and hit and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 11, I just love that. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love in response. We love in response to what God has shed abroad in our heart. And it will only come from a revelation of his love inside of us that hopefully we are spurred on, that we are, we are sent as ambassadors, as the aroma of Christ to share that aroma because of his love that is within us. Because of his love. To me, there's something, just a sidebar here. There's this invisible, visible principle. How can you love that which is invisible if you can't love that which is visible? James hints at this, does he not, in James 3? You think that you you love your neighbor, but yet here you are, he's asking for a coat, and you have an extra coat, and you won't give it to him. And John is saying the same thing here. How can you love God whom you see if you can't love your brother or sister whom you can see? And so to me, and I was talking to uh, my brother this week about this principle because he's he's struggling with a senior in high school. Um, you know, and just living out his faith in a way that isn't hypocritical. And to me, this is one of the biggest areas that we, that we miss where hypocrisy lands in our life. Cause we say many things about our relationship vertically, but we'll never do it horizontally. Does that make sense? We want God's forgiveness, but we will not give it to our, our father who left uh, our mom and, and has hurt us. We will never forgive him, but we want God's forgiveness. Friends, I'm not trying to trivialize some of our experiences, but I am saying that there is a a level of healing that God wants to do in our heart, and it comes from his love that he wants to shed abroad in our lives so that we can share it this way.
this invisible, visible principle. You know, the byproduct of my love for my wife is our children, right? And now I'm called to disciple them. I'm called to teach them, to train them, as we've been talking about from diapers to discipleship. And then I, I got in trouble for another series that we haven't started yet for our seniors from discipleship to diapers. I'm not going to repeat it because I got in trouble. But, but we're called to, to train and equip that which we have brought into this world. And I love what Deuteronomy says because it is along the way that this happens. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6. This is where uh, God is giving Moses the, the, the commands. And before that, this is what the, the Hebrews, the, the Jewish faith would call the Shema. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So when does discipleship happen? It happens when you sit at home. It happens when you walk along the road. It happens when you're lying down and when you're getting up. When I disciple my kids, it is as I'm going. It is as life is happening. It is teachable moments, is it not? Those are the most impactful times. It's, it, it may be motivations on Monday. It may be planned times where you have that with your family, but it's also in those moments that are not planned. In the middle of McDonald's when you are embarrassed by the way they're behaving, and that is the way God has handled our discipleship. It has been in the moment. It has been on-the-job training. And so discipleship and missions is right here in the bedrock of the family and how it occurs in the family is how it occurs in our family of faith. It is as we're going. It is while lying down. It is as we're going along the way. And so a few verses that I want to read that talk about this, that talk about from this foundation of love and a knowledge that comes from that relationship that training and teaching and disciplining and discipling occur. Jesus modeled this, and there's a few verses. He's, Jared's going to throw up here. You can write these down. I'm going to mention what they talk about. The first one in Matthew 5.25, talking about on the way, missioning, along the way, discipling. Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount in 5.25, he says, while still on the way, settle matters with your adversary, or they may hand you over. So even in forgiveness, he's saying, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? He's saying, settle it even on your way. Talk about it even as you're going. In the second passage, which is also recorded in Mark, in Matthew 20, 17, and Mark 10, 32, he says, on the way to Jerusalem, what happens? Jesus begins to disclose to the 12 what is about to happen with his death. Some of the most pertinent things, Jesus said, hey, we need to have a quick camp meeting over here. You know, us 12, actually, Judas, you go over there. I don't really like you anymore. You know, he could have gone ahead and, and said these things in, in a sidebar conversation when things had stopped, when it looked like the dust had settled a little bit. But instead, it was always on the way. It was along this way. That's how he discipled. That's how he missioned. That's how he reached. Mark eight twenty seven, and on the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Man, what a crucial, killer question that he's asking his disciples in that time. Who do people say that I am? But it's happening on the way. It's happening as they go. 
How many of you guys actually play Pokemon Go? Please don't put your hands up. We'll have an altar call for you later. You can come forward for prayer and a deletion of your app. Thank you, Bob. You can come forward, hand over your iPhone. Just kidding. Pokemon Go. <laughs> Mark nine thirty four talks about how they kept quiet because on the way, they had actually been arguing about who was the greatest. Not everything we talk about on the way is something that we feel like is repeatable in public. Sometimes what we're discussing along the way, we're also ashamed of. And Jesus talks about in Mark ten seventeen that as they were on their way, Jesus had started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell to his knees and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As we are going. Mark 16, 2. It was while they were on the way to the tomb that they started to discuss, well, who's going to roll away this big rock? Little did they know that while they were on their way, someone had already rolled it away for eternity. Luke 8, 14. It talks about how the seed fell on thorns, and it's compared to those who along the way are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures and they do not mature. Luke 10, 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Sometimes when Jesus is on his way, it's going to be opportunities to host him in our house, in our lives. And I love John 14, 6. As I'm moving through these verses, Jesus answered that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way along the way. He is the way. He's the path that we're sharing. He is the discipler. In Acts 8 and, and moving forward, the whole book of Acts is talking about, wow, it's really echoey. Thanks for fixing that. Acts 8 talks about as Philip was on his way through Ethiopia that he has this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. It was along the way, and it just happened to be, I love this passage. If you'll have to look up Acts 8, there's multiples on the ways as, the, as he was going. The, the, the eunuch had just happened to be on his way reading Isaiah, and, and Philip just happens to be on his way passing by him. This is what the scripture, uh, it, how it enumerates this, this uh, scenario, and then they just happened to be passing by some water so he could be baptized. It was all this intentional along the way how God was setting things up. And it's on your way here to that you're getting gas that you talk to the attendant inside. It's on your way at Walmart when you're doing that return because it broke because you bought it at Walmart. Just kidding. I buy a lot of stuff there. We buy a lot of stuff there because we don't know what bathroom to use at Target. So we go to Walmart. I understand. Some of you will get that when you go home. So while going, while going, this is the nuance of the Great Commission. Jared, if you'll throw that up for us, Matthew 28. Just to read it one more time. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So this, this whole therefore go is really a terrible translation of what it is in the Greek. The Greek carries with it this connotation of while going. It is a present participle. Oh my goodness, we're in school and you just went back to English. It is a present participle, meaning while going. Jesus assumed that you were already going to be going. The command was never to go. That was the assumption. 
Let me say it again. The command was never to go. That was the assumption that you would already be going somewhere in life. And so while going, the command is to make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow everything that I have handed down to you. While going is the assumption. So guys, we're already going. We're already doing something. Whether we're ashamed about what we're doing while we're going, discussing who's the greatest among us, it is Pastor Michael and the student ministry staff. Thank you. But it is while going that we are making disciples. I want to transition a little, um, a little less of, of scripture, and I'm going to tell a few stories as we get into our second point. Our second point I really want to kind of hit here is going when the going gets tough. Going when the going gets tough. How many know life isn't just a, a bed of roses? Or it is, but it's got a lot of thorns in it too. The early church faced lots of persecution. The diaspora was a real thing, the dispersion of the church. Probably one of the greatest things that helped church growth was persecution. That was probably one of the best things that helped the church grow in the early church. And I believe it's going to be the same for us in the coming days. You see, persecution, I believe that that was the suffering that produced perseverance for them and was an acting factor that purified their faith. And many believe that in our country, there's going to be this, this dividing line again that's going to occur, that no longer will the church be able to have one foot in the world playing the games of the world and one foot in serving God wholeheartedly. But I believe that you're seeing that line drawn more and more distinctly. Where do you stand? What is biblical marriage? What, what are the ethics of our God? And I'm not talking about legislating morality. I'm not talking about that I expect a government to carry out the kingdom. I believe that I'm a citizen of heaven before I'm ever a citizen of this country. Okay? So don't misunderstand me. But I believe that through hardship and difficulties, those become opportunities to have our motivations checked, to realign our trust in him and have that solidified, and to allow us to choose joy over circumstantial emotions. Relationships are messy. Relationships are really messy, aren't they? And we're leading you towards a messier style of, of church, of ministry. When we're passing around, we're pretty much passing around messy ministry sign-up sheets. We're asking you guys to get involved in a little bit messier ministry style than Wednesday night showing up and, and being able to slide in, slide back out. We're asking that, hey, we will be better when we're connected Will it be better when we can have honest conversations around some coffee in the Bible and just discuss what's going on in your life and my life and lift each other up? That gets a little more involved, but it is also much, much more rewarding. Much, much more rewarding. I think about it if relationships, intentional relationships, that's discipling along the way. And I know that in my own relationship with my wife, it can get messy. If we're both honest with each other, that if we put in the effort to make a healthy relationship, because we do realize that unhealthy relationships are the easier way out, right? Unhealthy ones are the easy way out. That it takes work. It takes work just this last week of, of me having to apologize for being a jerk. Imagine that. Pastor Michael was a jerk. And I had to say I was sorry publicly to some people that were there, right? Oh, Lord, help us. The microphone is now being taken away. But that is part of life of 
of apologizing and saying sorry and working through things that sometimes take a day, take it, take a weekend, take a few days. I'm, I'm talking about my own example. Here we go again, maybe a week or two of being in the doghouse, Bob. I'm joining you. But when raising our kids, the easy way out is to be the lazy parent. In, in disciplining my children, the easy way out is to say, oh, I'm just too tired to deal with that right now. It is more difficult to handle relationship issues. It is more difficult to, to be someone that wants your relationships on the up and up, whether they're ones that you're responsible for or ones that you value in your own life. It's more work. But instead, I'm choosing with my kids to be the adult, to have patience and self-control, hopefully, and not lash out and simply react, but instead to teach and to train. So hardship while going is simply part of the process. It's part of life. It's part of what a God allows. And it can be the acting agent, the acting agent to create his image in us. I believe God will use situations to simply allow his image to be worked out in us. More often than not, that's why we're going through something. That's why when you know what hits the fan, it's okay, God, I have another opportunity to trust you. I don't have running water at my house and my friends are bailing me out, you know, and and gosh, we got a baby that's almost here. I'm not talking about anybody here today. But hardships, they stretch us. And they're an opportunity in that tension to see greater momentum for his image to be born inside of us. So recently I was having a conversation with my in-laws, John and Maxie, uh, about a transition that they they really sensed the Lord was leading their ministry into. Um, just about the ministry's identity and its organizational structure and uh, without going to, into too many details, what I sensed was happening, I think they knew as well, were that they had kind of settled in to the routine of where things were at for their ministry. And God was kind of shaking things up. How I many you know everything that can be shaken will be shaken? And he'll stretch us sometimes right as we get comfortable because it pruning, a few cutbacks, a little bit of stretching, that's where we see life again. That's where we see new growth in our spiritual walk. And just as a sidebar, just to the way I see transitions happening, how many of you know that oftentimes the Lord will allow us to sense a transition in our own life, and it's not right around the corner. It's something that he's just kind of ebbing us into. He's helping us transition internally before it happens externally. So know that in wisdom that oftentimes when you sense a transition, it is well in advance of when that transition is coming because God is through his grace helping us ease into that, that season of our life. It's important that we discern the season God has, God has us in. You know, and Candy and I have kind of been in our own version. I told you this, this point was going to be mostly stories, Gail, and I wasn't lying. Candy and I have been mostly in our own version, um, of, of sensing God's transitions. Uh, before we got married, we, like I said, we've been married 10 years. Before we got married, we talked about fostering. We talked about adopting. We talked about what that would look like for our family. When we, when would we do it? We weren't really sure. We didn't have any kids of our own. But about three, four, maybe four and a half years ago, we sensed the Lord asking us again, would we foster? Would we, would we adopt? I wanted to foster. She wanted to adopt. I wanted to test drive the car. She wanted to buy it. I'm like, ah, I know a terrible analogy for a, a, an actual life involved. But 
I wanted to see if this was right for our family. Uh, and just to tell you now, we're, we're, she's over halfway through the path class. I'm almost halfway through. I missed one. But we're, we're in this process now of, of fostering through DCS because we believe that God's timing was now. We believe strategically that he had finally, he'd, we had said three years ago, yes, we will. But we recognized the timing was not then. It was the transition that he was going ahead and placing in our heart, allowing us to sense that this was coming down the road to prepare us mentally. And here we are, and I feel like they're rushing us through this process. It's been home study this week, home study next week, home study then. Proved. I'm like, what? I wasn't thinking, oh my, we wouldn't get a call about a placement until after Christmas or something. This is way too fast. And so God has allowed us to process this, though, for years. It has been while going that we've responded to what he's asked of us. It has been just as life would be happening. And oftentimes, you know, we need confirmation of what he's asking us to do. And I was that, I was that guy. I was the one who needed confirmation for this process for my family. Was it going to be best for Judah emotionally and, and his pecking order in the family and all that stuff and, and how God was going to protect my kids from, from anything? And just all these thoughts that I was having. And we were, we had to go to Mount Juliet to a pastor's conference to sit at this Chick-fil-A there to have a random stranger confirm it for me. And so this was third week of June and the Lord knew I needed this. And I had, as soon as I got there, I took Judah to the restroom. That's just what we do. We just, come on, let's go to the bathroom. I don't care if you need to. And we're coming back out and this man with his teenage son sees us. I had no idea he had seen us at the time. He sees us come out and, and he said the Holy Spirit spoke to him at that moment. Well, we both continued to eat our meals and as Candy took the kids the second time to the bathroom after we were done eating, because you do it before and after, right? And so she's taking them to the restroom and I'm the only one sitting at the table and this man uh, looks over at me. I can still see him wearing his little golf hat. Uh, I don't even know how you say it. Tilius or whatever, I don't know, that brand of, of golf materials. He's wearing it, he's looking at me, and he's saying, he said, man, I've just got to share something with you. I've been struggling with what the Holy Spirit told me about 25 minutes ago, and I've been telling my son here that I've got to talk to this guy next to us, and I don't do this. And he says, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you a few things. One, that you're right in the middle of God's will, and he's pleased with you. And he said, he, he's pleased with where you're at, and he said, two, is that something you had talked about doing before, you are now recontemplating and you're evaluating if this is the right time. And he says, God just wants you to know you have the green light. And I'm like, I'm crying at Chick-fil-A. I'm not even telling this guy what that means to me. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, but God knew I needed that. I didn't put a fleece out there. The Lord spoke to me. And I'm not, if, if you're about fleeces, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But God spoke to me when I needed that word. And I've, I'm hanging on to that word because I knew it was confirmation to God's season. Because how many of you know the going's going to get tough? The going is going to get tough because that's life and that's ministry and it's about relationships and relationships are messy. But because of his love that he has shed abroad in our hearts, we believe we're supposed to share it with those who have a lack of experience in his love. And so we know that he has called us in this season to embark on this endeavor and it's, it's stretching us a lot. There's a lot of conversations that we're having to have. You come over to my house, all my ibuprofen is locked up. I didn't know you had to do that. I didn't know kids would drink bleach, but apparently they will. So that too has to be locked up. But all this, I believe the Lord guides us, and our life is simply 
an accumulation of trusting and obeying. Let me say that again. I don't believe anybody ends up in greatness overnight. I believe anything great happens from small choices of trusting and obeying. I look at people with mega ministries. They're traveling internationally and they're publishing books and they've got like three, four different nonprofits they're over in and they're involved in ministry. And I'm like, how in the world do they get there one day at a time? It's the same way you eat an elephant, Gail, one bite at a time. Bob knows how that works. So one bite at a time. Bob loves elephants. That's one of his favorite steaks. I wasn't talking about, I can't believe you guys thought I was talking about him. But it's an accumulation of trusting and obeying. I apologize, Bob. Trusting and obeying. Trusting and obeying. There's so much energy behind obedience. And God is leading us. I look at, I look at where God has brought us into working full time with my parents. I never expected to be there. Told you I thought we'd be overseas at this point. To working at Emmanuel. This guy didn't know what he was getting into. Uh, to fostering, to be asked to foster, to leading life groups, to all these things that God accumulates in our lives that are steps of obedience, that he never gives us more than we can handle. But it's all an accumulation of, of living, obedient life. Just a couple of months ago, as I'm wrapping up, my mom and I were walking through one of our urban communities. Um, it was right before the summer was getting ready to start. And we hadn't been there maybe 15 minutes Many of you guys have been to the same neighborhood to have a, a, a block party, so to speak. And we were in that general vicinity of where we had set up. And we had been there maybe 15 minutes, knocking on some doors, visiting the kids, inviting them to Sunday school. And we hear pop, pop, pop. All of a sudden, kids are like scattering like, like uh, cockroaches with the light coming on. It was, they were running everywhere and people were screaming. And then all of a sudden, I see the car drive by and the gun's still sticking out. And then this guy comes running around the apartment building right next to us. This happened within yards of us. And I know that oftentimes we get asked, how can you do what you're doing? And my dad get, used to get this question all the time. How can you let your wife go into some of these communities by herself? Let me tell you how we came to a, a comfort level of that is because we know that when God gives you the word, that you're safer to walk on the water than you are to stay in the boat. His word is more firm than our circumstances. You are safer to walk on that water in a storm than you are to stay in the boat. And so I might be in more danger if I'm at West Knoxville than I would be at Western Heights. Because if I'm called to be there, then I'm there for the right purpose and his hedge of protection is around me. That's how I can take my kids. Judah was actually supposed to be with me that day. Just happened to be that he was able to stay home with our in-laws at that time. Um, and I just think through things like that, how God knows what he's doing a lot better than I do. A whole lot better. So even when the going gets tough, we encourage ourselves in the Lord and we trust that we are in his will and we follow his discernment and his spirit's guidance. We use divine wisdom but we don't make our decisions based on fear. We base it on his word, God's will. So what will we do with his will? I want to encourage you with two verses, and then our pastor is going to come up and close us. Two passages real quick. 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. Join with me in suffering. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> that's like your, all, that's your call right there, call to worship. Join with me in suffering through our time of worship. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. 
And then the second passage, 2 Corinthians 11, as I'm finishing, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. This is Paul writing, defending his apostleship. I also dare to boast about, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? Me too. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more so. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. This was, this was his credentials. I wish, I think Paul carried this in his back pocket instead of some sort of uh, ordination. He said, okay, this is how many times I have been in prison, how many times I've been flogged, I've been exposed to death again and again. Next slide, Jared. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. My kids have many of these things to say about their life. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a, a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, danger in the sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have got and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. This is our pastor right now as he's trying to move into a new home. I have been cold and naked besides any, everything else. I face daily the pressures of my concerns for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. When the going gets tough, that's when we can boast the most. I'm going to stop there and say something real quick. Oftentimes we believe, and this was, this was a statement in, in one of my men's Bible studies recently. It said, it is in spite of our weaknesses and because of our strengths that the Lord would choose to use us. And we're like, that doesn't quite sit right. We, we reversed it and we said, it is because of our weakness and in spite of our strengths that the Lord chooses to use us. I'm a firm believer that it is the paradigm of our God to use the foolish things of this world. And I'm one of those things. I am one of those things. If God were to choose to use anyone and he would choose to use me and to choose to use you, it is so that he can receive glory, not us. And when the going gets tough, that's when we boast the most because it is in his strength that we will overcome, that we will overcome. Pastor, would you close us out? Amen. That was great. I knew those stories about uh, those neighborhoods and things that go on, and the next day, the next week, they were right back there. What I want you to know is that God wants to use us to make a major difference for the Lord. One more time, encourage Pastor Michael. That was so great. The Bible says, as you're going, and Tommy Barnett says the church needs to get their as in gear. Hallelujah. A-S, as, for you holy people, get your as in gear. So this week, uh, as you're going, I want you to be looking for ways and opportunities. I said that right? Did I say it right? Okay, A-S, okay. For you unholy people, get your mind out of the gutter. But this week, I want you to look for opportunities because we have a, a, a saying here that we want to push and promote. It's every member a missionary. We know Brooke and Tyler are technically missionaries to UT campus, and we thank God for them. But Caleb is a missionary to his apartment complex. Uh, Sabrina is a missionary to her neighborhood. Monica is a missionary to her job. Monica sees hundreds and hundreds of customers every single day, and she might have a brief interaction with them. She's a missionary, and that's what we believe God's calling us to. Amen? Let's stand. I know we had a little more teaching today than music. We're normally a little more music, less teaching, but we wanted to really take some time and stir this up in your heart. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Man, I am. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your heart towards us. 
Thank you that you've called us into this great relationship. I pray for everybody in this room this morning that they will make a decision today to follow you, Lord. We commit to being missionaries. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.